Um, just before I get started, I just wanted to tell you a story. Um, this is my first time being able to speak from this stage, and I see it as a huge privilege. And uh, I've been kind of intimately involved with all the uh, details of how all of um, this building came to be. When it came to this stage, um, we were carpeting it probably the week before everything went in, and uh, I got in here early before the, uh, the carpet people came up. And right about where my feet are, I just got up on the stage with a Sharpie and I wrote, Holy Spirit, you were welcome in this place. Um, I just really wanted everything that was said, that was sung from this stage, I wanted it to be, to come from a place where the Spirit just fills this space. Where it's absolutely at the center of everything that happens in this place and in this community So as we start today, I just want to pray, and then we'll get started. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You need no invitation. We recognize your presence, and we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you lead us. We trust you. Everything that's said today, we just place it in your hands. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago... Brian came to me, and uh, he said, hey, can you speak? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And uh, he said, like shortly after that, he said, I want you to cover the two chapters in 2 Corinthians that talk about giving to the church and to the poor. And I was like, well, that was sneaky. You asked me, and then you like, I was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. But deep in my soul, I knew what every pastor knows when it comes to speaking about money it's that people don't want to hear it, and uh, people have a hard time trusting the church. They have a hard time trusting pastors. Talking about money in our culture, just in general, kind of feels off limits. And so, uh, knowing all that, we sectioned off this front row. Okay, there's a large elephant that's going to come and sit here for the remainder of the service. Try not to let him be too distracting. But we're just going get, to get after it. Um, let's just pull the Band-Aid off, okay? You guys ready? All right. I'm going to talk about giving our money away this morning. Now, the, the pastor trick when you talk about generosity is to lump in a whole lot of things, okay? So you talk about your time, giving of your time, giving of your talents, And then you talk about giving of your money. That gives people the option of like how they're going to actually go about being generous. Well, we're not doing that either this morning, okay? We're literally just talking about giving your money away, okay? I just want to be up front. That's what we're talking about. You guys pumped yet? Like, yeah, this is is going to be a blast. All right. So... The question I have as we get started is this. What is the biggest question that comes to mind when you start a message about giving your money away? How much much money? What am I in for? Like, what is this going to cost me? Here's the truth. When God is not at the center of our giving, charity, and generosity, we will typically give out of obligation convenience, or guilt. 
If someone could just give us a reasonable number that helps with like our tax situation at the end of the year, we could probably find an amount that we're comfortable with and that we could part with, but there's nothing more and nothing less. That's without God. But when the Lord gets a hold of our heart, giving our money away comes from a place of generosity, gratitude, and joy. It's just completely different. The question moves from this. How much should we give to how much should we keep? Do you see how giant a shift in your brain that is? From how much we should give to how much we should keep. When we realize the amazing gift that life is and all that comes from God, it's really hard not to be generous with our money. Just think about it. Every single breath you take is a gift. All the money we live with is definitely a gift. So the joy that we get to decide with our lives is how much of this gift do we get to keep? What do we need to live on? As followers of Jesus, generosity should be a no-brainer. That's the bottom line. We were created in the image and likeness of a God that has overwhelmed us with generosity. He gave us his very life. He gave us our life. He gave us breath. He gave us his son that gave his life so that we could experience true life. He gave us his spirit. He gave us his heart. He gave us the abilities that we have to work and make money. Joy and gratitude should move all of us towards generosity. The early church was known. They were marked. People understood them as a people of generosity. It set them apart from all the other communities in the New Testament. In Acts 2, it said that they came and that they sold their possessions, that they sold properties so that no one was within need, so that no one had needs. They were known as a community that took care of each other. That's what set them apart. If there's one thing that should set apart followers of Jesus, it should be a heart for generosity. And as we look at this letter from Paul to Corinth, we see some really practical steps <clears throat> to generosity and it flows from an expression of joy and not obligation. That's the big point that I wanna get across today is that our giving comes from joy and it doesn't come from obligation. So I'm gonna give you some background real quick. If you wanna read this on your own when you're home this week, it's coming out of two chapters in 2 Corinthians. We've been going through this whole series. It's gonna be uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9. I'm just gonna kind of paraphrase and give us the background. Okay, Paul takes two chapters to talk to the church in Corinth about being generous with a gift that they've been collecting for the church in Jerusalem. Okay, he brought it up a year ago, a year prior to this, in his first letter to them. So in 1 Corinthians is where he first brings this, this uh, offering up. And now he's, this is like a check-in in 2 Corinthians. He's checking in to see how it's going in the collection of this gift. The church in Jerusalem is really suffering. They're desperately in need of financial assistance. 
Now, here's what we have. We have Gentiles, Gentile Christians in Corinth, and they're giving to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. So that's not a real trusted relationship yet. That's still very early in the stages of how those, thing, those two groups are getting along. So it's kind of delicate. The di- dynamic is still a little tense. On top of that, you already have some churches that have been giving to this. So you have the churches in Macedonia, and they've already given a generous gift. Even though they were extremely poor, it says they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then um, they gave beyond their ability. The congregations in Macedonia were made up of like Philip, the church in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. So that's the area that we're talking about. They already gave a massive donation, way over what they could. They were extremely poor. They saw it as a joy to give. Listen to how Paul follows up to the church in Corinth. It's amazing. He lays it on super thick. Paul is so aggressive. I love it. He, he's, this is what he says. He says, I am not commanding you to do this. And what he's talking about is giving this offering. This isn't a command. Listen to this. But I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. How does that sound? I'm not commanding you to do this. You don't have to do anything. But this super poor church, they gave a ton. I'm testing how genuine your affection is by letting you know that this has already been a big deal to other people. He doesn't pull any punches. I love it. Paul's like, gets right at it. He says, the best thing you could do is finish what you started last year. Don't let your good intentions grow cold. He's giving them very clear instructions on how to get this done. He's super practical, which I can appreciate. He says, do what you can, not what you can't do. He doesn't want them to get to the point where it would be a burden on them to give and they end up becoming a burden to other people. So it's taken Paul a year to get back to this church. And in that time, he's had to share all kinds of hard things with this church in Corinth. His first letter, 1 Corinthians, and what we've led up to this point in 2 Corinthians is filled with very difficult instruction to the church. He's addressing things like incest, people suing each other, people getting weird with spiritual gifts, and people getting drunk at communion. You know, like the usual stuff. (laughs) So there's all these things that he's addressing. And what he's trying to make sure is that none of this is deterring them from this very important gift that they're preparing to give. He's saying, hey, I, I know we've had to get at some hard things, but this is extremely important. Do not forsake this because of the, the difficult things that we've had to talk to. So on top of that, he sends Titus ahead of him with two others to make sure that the offering is ready when he shows up and it's not compromised in his transport to Jerusalem. Because he realizes the same thing. That these people have trust issues, and he wants them to understand that every single penny that's, going, that's being given is going to make its way to Jerusalem. See, like, this wasn't a wire transfer, you know? This wasn't like a, people taking automatic withdrawals out of their checking account that just end up in Jerusalem. From Corinth to Jerusalem is 800 miles, 
And these people are transporting this offering. So it's a, it's a delicate situation. I want to talk today about four principles for giving that we see in this passage. I think he makes it super practical. They kind of go in order. It makes a lot of sense. I'm a practical kind of guy. And one thing I love about giving, people talk all the time about discipleship and growing in their life with God. Giving is one of those things that's just so practical. It's, it's something that you can build into every aspect of your life, and I love that. Let's start with this. Be consistent with your giving and follow through with your commitments. In 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when, the time, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. He's saying set it aside every single week. In 2 Corinthians 8, 8 through 10, he says, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. I think one of the most core principles of generosity is consistency and follow through. The offering, he said to set it aside every week. Why did he say that? Because it is easy to forget. Other things always come up. Isn't that the truth? There's always something else that comes up. It's easy to lose passion. It's not always fun. Consistency builds the muscle of generosity. This is a hard truth, but um, giving when it's convenient is not generosity. It's just convenient. As a pastor that oversees the budget and the finances here at the church, allow me to get really practical just for a second. Uh, we know that in this church, there are many that receive large distributions through the year and, and they give accordingly. And big one-time gifts that we receive at a church are absolutely crucial and they're amazing and it helps us cover our budget every single year. But the majority of our people receive regular um, monthly income. And when people assess what they make for the year, when they decide in their hearts how they want to be generous, and then they start consistently giving to the church on a regular basis, it is so helpful for us as a church. Because it allows us to do all the planning and things that we need to do. It allows us to set a budget. It allows us to decide on the projects that we want to tackle and be able to fund the ministries that help keep our church moving in the right direction. Consistency is super important. The second point that Paul brings up is being smart with your giving. And I love that he throws this in here. In 2 Corinthians 8, 12 through 14, he says, give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and you can help those who are in need. 
Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. What I love that Paul brings up here is that you don't have to check your brain at the door when it comes to giving. That's the furthest thing that you should do. I believe we should save. I believe we should invest. I believe we should set aside money for our kids' future. Our mind and our hearts are involved when it comes to giving. And if we give to a place that we become a burden ourselves, it defeats the purpose, doesn't it, of giving in the first place. If we overly give and then we find ourselves in trouble, then someone else has to pull us out of that hole. I believe the biggest problem we have to talk about when we talk about smart giving is debt. This message is fun. Are you guys like stoked? <laughs> Isn't that the truth though? Debt can kill our ability to be generous. I was reading the statistics. It says 80% of Americans find themselves in consumer debt. The average consumer debt per person is $38,000. That's outside of mortgage. That's not your mortgage. Just individually, everyone has $38,000 of consumer debt. Even if on your best day, you wanted to stir up some generosity and you're staring at $38,000 of debt, what are you gonna do? If someone presented us with a need today and desperately needed help, could we do anything about it? And then I think we need to address the, the core of that issue. What drives most of our debt? It's our constant need for more. It's that feeling of once I get fill in the blank, that house, that car, we go on that vacation, then I have every intent in my heart to start being generous. Sometimes that time just never comes. That's a really difficult thing. Here's the last point. I, I also think sometimes we can get too smart when it comes to our giving. So I think you should be smart, just don't be too smart. We, sometimes we can get overly involved in the outcome of our giving. Have you ever found yourself in this situation? Do not hear me wrong. Absolutely, we need to vet every single organization and thing that we give to, okay? That's foundational. But we can get overly cynical and scrutinize every gift to the place that we use it as an excuse not to give. You start looking at all the pie charts and you're like, how many admin fees are going to this? And what's, what's that? I, you, we can get so into the weeds that it can very easily become like, well, I don't, I don't know what's going on with this place, so I just can't find a place to give. If I could find one place that was trustworthy to give to, I would. I just can't find one. All right, third point. Give from the heart. I love this point. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says, you must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't do it reluctantly or in response to pressure. Giving starts with the heart. And more than any other thing in our lives, money 
is the thing that wars for the affection of our heart. Jesus drives this point home in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, 19, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your money is, is where you will find your heart. Follow that trail of where your treasure is, you'll probably end up at where your heart is. And then he goes on right past that in Matthew 6, 24 to say, um, you cannot serve God and money. The Aramaic term for money here is mammon. It's a term meaning money or wealth used in the Bible to refer to the idolization of money. It's the overlove and trust of something that's good, but you've just placed in the way of God. That's what idols are in our lives. It's not a bad thing, it's a good thing, but we've just given it overlove and trust to the place where that takes the place of God in our lives. You cannot serve God in money. Something happens inside of each one of our hearts when we give our money away. Money can feel like it's the key to all of our security, right? That's why we insure it, that's why we invest it, that's why we save it, that it is the source of all of our security. And giving it away feels like we're losing control, we're losing our our safety, our security. <clears throat> but the truth is that when we give our money away, what it really does is show where we are actually placing our security. See, money doesn't sit passively in our bank accounts. It doesn't. Money moves and it moves fast. If we don't take it seriously, it can consume us. It can turn into debt it can be hoarded, it can be wasted, it can get invested, and it can get given away. It doesn't just sit there. And if you ever feel compelled by pressure or guilt, you should never give. I truly believe that this is one of the best le lessons that we can teach our kids. Start them at a really young age. Because when you don't have a lot of money, that's the time that you wanna start building these principles into place. You look at what you have, you decide in your heart, and you decide what you keep. See, our family decided in our heart what we would give monthly to Cornerstone. It had nothing to do with obligation, zero. We also set aside extra money to find people and opportunities to give to in our lives. We give because we believe in where Cornerstone uses its resources to bless our families, our communities, and the world. We've benefited from all of this, and it makes sense for us to give back to a local church that we're connected to. Please hear me. I understand that people have a hard time trusting churches. And as the guy that works with the finances, one thing, I am super proud of Cornerstone's budget. And we are absolutely transparent. If any one of you would ever wanna sit down with me, I, this is an open invitation. I will open up our books and I will show you how we give our money because I'm actually super proud of it. I want you to feel like you can trust us. 
That would be the worst thing is if I felt like we were mismanaging money and I was up here just kind of like, hey, give, I promise everything's fine. I, I don't want to be that guy. I couldn't live with myself. All right. I'm going to take a quick side note. I'm going to step on a soapbox. I promise this is only going to take two minutes. Are you guys okay with this? I'm going to talk about giving to the local church. Okay? I believe you should do it. That's number one. <laughs> okay? This is something that we're not. We are not a local gym that you give dues to. Okay? Monthly. And we're not a movie theater that you show up to once a month with your popcorn to be entertained. That's not what the church is. We are a local expression of the people of God that act like a family in Boulder County. And if you are not a part of this family, please, I'm telling you right now, put your hands over your ears. This next minute is not for you, okay? Absolutely not. But if you've been coming here for a while, we consider you family. And this is something we can promise. We're not going to, like, we don't ask you to become a member. There's no tattoos involved, okay? We don't do any of that stuff. There is no obligation, and there is zero pressure to give. But if you freely decide that this is your family, then we treat it like a family. We consistently show up. We serve. We give. We take care of the needs in this family. There are tons and tons of needs in this family. And as a family, we take care of those things. When projects like Dream Boulder, this initiative that we had to build this, this building came up and we decided to build, we, need, we needed family to pull that off. When we assessed the needs in Boulder County, our work in Uganda, um, in Mexico, and Israel, we need family to band together to meet those needs. For the consistent, ongoing pastoring of the people in this family, the ministry to kids and students and adults, we need the family to collectively give to support those ministries. Stepping off the soapbox, okay, that was, that was it. I think it's really important that you give to your local church. That's just Dan. Here's my last point. I think we should give with joy. 2 Corinthians 9.8. It says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. It's awesome. Our giving has to move from obligation to joy. Do you see how the progression works as I've gone through the points? You start with consistency, consistently giving. You, then you have to be smart with your decision to give, but then you start giving from your heart. Eventually, that will move you to joy. The first time you give, we could probably have some amens and testimonies. It might not feel like joy, right? <laughs> What's awesome for me is I started this principle in elementary school. My parents have drilled this into me forever. 
started with my allowance. I gave through my high school years. As soon as I got a job, I knew that was part of what I did with my money. When I was a traveling rock star and mowing lawns every time I was not having shows, I was consistently giving. When we first moved here and Josh and I were working at Lowe's at four in the morning, unloading trucks for $9.50 an hour, I was consistently giving. I can look back on 30, buff, I'm old, maybe 40 years of consistently giving and thank my parents for, this build, for building this principle into my life. It has become a huge joy to me. That has happened over time. It's one of the things I, I receive most joy from. We have never gone without. We have always had enough. And we've always had some left over to bless others. And I could tell you countless stories of people and generosity and how the Lord has grabbed their heart. But I just want to tell you one. I want to tell you about my oldest son, Zeke, because I'm super proud of him. He's 19, and uh, he's been working full-time at one of our restaurants for the last uh, two years. And uh, he has had one goal. (laughs) If you know my son, you know what it is. He is an absolute freak about Subaru Impreza's. And he's like, I want a brand new Subaru Impreza. I was like, you know what that takes? A lot of money. He was like, I'm ready. For two years, that dude has worked and worked and saved and saved and saved. And we went to the dealership and we sat down and you can just tell, right? You're sitting down with like a dealer and he's like, I got a chump. He's like, I got a 19 year old kid. This is, he has no credit. This is going to be a giant bummer. And Zeke's like, here's $18,000. I'd like to buy this car. And he was like, what? Like, who are you? And I was just like, I was, it's like a proud dad moment. You know what I mean? Where you're sitting back and you're like, that's right. That's my son. He saves money. <laughs> but in the midst of that, and through the entire time, he's been setting aside 10% of every single dime that he makes. Right now, he's sitting on $1,000, and he's deciding to give to the church. He's researching some other nonprofits that matter to him. That matters to me. That is huge, and I love it. I think one of the greatest things that Alyssa and I can do is install in our kids the joy of generosity. It starts when they're young. So the question I have is how can this generosity become a lifestyle? How can it just be a part of who we are? Because you just don't wake up one day and become generous. You're like, now I'm generous. You gotta start somewhere, and I think you should start now. Our natural inclination is not to be generous. That's just the truth. I mean, think about your kids. From the earliest age, they get real comfortable with the word mine. That's mine. That's how we see all of our things, mine. Everything we have is ours, right? We we cling to it and we hold on to it. Generosity is this muscle that needs to be built. It starts with giving yourself first to the Lord like the Macedonians did. Then you have no choice to, to become generous with everything that you've been given. It has to become something consistent for it to become a lifestyle. 
See, because I, I believe this. We can get really excited about projects and things that come up and Kickstarters and ooh, that grabbed my heart. I saw this on Instagram. Oh, my heart. Like that happens all the time. Projects that come up can be very enticing and I think we should give to them. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but consistent giving when no one is looking and no one is asking, that is when it's super powerful. Because once it becomes consistent, that's when it gets into your heart. And once the Lord has your heart, then you can be, at that point, we're overwhelmed with gratitude and joy and generosity will become a lifestyle. <clears throat> and the timing is always funny when you get asked to speak, but I'm definitely not sharing with you a message that I'm not in the midst of dealing with in a real way right now. I grew up real poor, like Macedonia poor. A lot of my adult life was made up of like government cheese and food stamps. When I moved to Colorado, we had this wild idea that we would start restaurants because I hear they're super successful and like never fail. For some crazy reason, they actually did really well. And we are currently in the process of being bought out for our portion of the business. For the first time in my adult life, I'm dealing with real wealth and the opportunity to put this idea of generosity to work in a way that I never have before. And honestly, it's a little bit terrifying but I am really glad that my parents gave me the foundation of generosity as a kid. Because dealing with lots of money and what to do with it can feel really overwhelming if you haven't been doing it for years and years and years. See, my parents have told me and my brother probably for the last like 30 years, which is kind of weird, but that's okay. But they say, when we die, they start with that. They just want to be really clear with us, and they keep telling us. When we die, Dan, you get a third. Mike, you get a third. And our third kid, the church, gets a third. They've told us that forever. We know where their heart is. They have drilled that into us. That's what's important to them. That's what they have committed to for their entire life. We've known that forever. It's already written out. I have no choice in the matter. I know what's happening when they die. They have made generosity a lifestyle. So my question is, what are we leaving our kids? I don't want to get in trouble here. I have a tendency to do that every once in a while when I speak. <clears throat> but what are we really leaving our kids if we just leave them our wealth? Hopefully, they follow our lead and accumulate more wealth and more wealth and more. But to what end? Is generational wealth the only goal? That's a great goal. Is it the only goal? What if we pass down a legacy of generosity? Where we're smart with our wealth, but open-handed with everything we have and always looking for opportunities to be generous. 
Could you imagine generations of generosity and the impact that would establish in our families and community? Look around this room. Can you imagine if that's really what was the heart of driving every family in this place? All right, I'm wrapping up. Everyone okay? All right, thanks for hanging in there. Worship team, you guys can start coming out. Here's my advice for today. I think you start now. I think waiting until you have enough will keep you waiting your whole life. And we really only have a limited amount of time to give. That's just the reality. My advice is that you start giving if you never have. And what's awesome is that as a church right now, we're not in crisis mode. That is the best time ever to have this message. There is nothing worse, I will promise you, because I have done it as a pastor, than getting up when you're in crisis mode and just pleading with people to give. That's absolutely horrible. We're not there. That's not where we're at. If you feel any arm twisting, don't even think about giving. There's zero pressure. The church isn't desperate for your money, but the Lord is desperate for your heart. And he'll get it when we start being open-handed. We had a lot of people start giving for the first time when we started Dream Boulder, that, that initiative that, we, that built this building. And story after story after story came back to us. What they told us is they felt more connected to the mission of God. They felt more connected to what the church was doing. They experienced joy for the first time in their giving. For many of them, it's now a consistent part of their life, and they're never not going to give. Let's go over those four principles, okay? So we close. Be consistent. Set it up. Do the work. Have it come out weekly, monthly, yearly, however you're gonna do it. Be smart. If you're in debt, get out of debt. Work hard to get out of debt. Don't overgive. Don't give to the place where you find yourself in need of help. Be smart with your money. Give from the heart. Your money is warring for the affection of your heart. I promise you that. So give it away and watch your heart become free. And give with joy. Joy is the goal. It starts with gratitude. So as we close today, just close your eyes for a second. Let's activate our imaginations for a minute. Let's just start with gratitude. Think of all that you have. All that you begin. Start with the easy stuff. Start with the breaths you're taking right now. Start with your family. Start with your friends. Start with your community. 
about your stuff. Think about your house, your cars, the things that fill your homes. Think about your mind and your abilities to do the work that even creates the money that you have in your bank accounts. It's all a gift. God, we thank you. We're filled with gratitude. God, when I stand before you one day, face to face, I want you to look at my life and say that you, I, you had all of my heart. That there was nothing that I held back from you. God, I know in so many ways my money consumes my heart and I just want to give it to you. Every part of it. Help me to be smart in my decisions. God, help us as a family to be smart in our decisions. But God, you want our hearts. So we commit that to you today. Help us to leave a legacy of generosity, gratitude, and joy. Thank you.